everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of a Trophy Life Podcast. Bob Rath been greeting you from Atlanta. My guest this week will be our 2013 Warner Ladder Naismith Coach of the Year, Jim Laranega from the University of Miami. We'll talk about Jim's great career, his influences as a coach and a teacher. That's coming up in just a moment. But first, our Jersey Mike's news and notes for the week. And the 2020 U.S. Olympic women's basketball team has been unveiled and it features two now five-time Olympians, one four-time Olympian, one three-time Olympian, and two who will be competing in their second Olympics, and six who will step on the Olympic stage for the first time this summer. Headlining the team, longtime USA national team members Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi, who each donned a USA basketball jersey for the first time in 2000 and own a combined eight Olympic and seven FIBA World Cup gold medals. Plus, three-time Olympic gold medalist Sylvia Fowles, who also captured gold at the 2010 FIBA World Cup. Expecting to play in a third Olympic Games, Tina Charles, Brittany Griner, and Brianna Stewart, two athletes who are pursuing their first Olympic gold medal, who already own a FIBA World Cup gold, Jewel Lloyd and Asia Wilson. And stepping onto the world stage for a first time at a FIBA senior-level 5-on-5 competition will be Ariel Atkins, Nafisha Collier, Skylar Diggins-Smith, and Chelsea Gray. Congratulations to all. This note, with the 5th Olympics looming, Bird and Tarasi are poised to join an extremely elite club. Since 1936, when men's basketball first was officially included on the Olympic program, and 1976, when women's basketball was first played in the Olympics, Only six athletes worldwide have competed in five Olympic basketball competitions, and one is the USA's Teresa Edwards, who captured four gold medals and one bronze medal from 1984 to 2000. Pretty amazing list, and good luck to the USA women. Plus, four athletes have qualified for the USA basketball team in the inaugural three-on-three Olympic competition this summer. Stephanie Dolson, Alicia Gray, Kelsey Plum, and Katie Lou Samuelson. So good luck to our women's team in the three-on-three competition as well. Can't wait for the Olympics with less than four weeks to go before the opening ceremonies. When we come back, my conversation with Jim Laranega. But first, this from Jersey Mike's. Jersey Mike's would like to dedicate the next three seconds to our new grilled portobello mushroom and Swiss sub. Trust us, it tastes good too, because fresh ingredients make a sub above. It is always a pleasure to catch up with the head coach of the Miami Hurricanes, our great friend Jim Laranega, our 2013 Werner Laddard Naismith Coach of the Year. Jim, how are you, sir? Long time. Yeah, doing great. Looking forward to our upcoming season. It's going to be my 11th year here at the the University of Miami and in the ACC. And uh, it'll be exciting to have fans back in our arena after last year not having anybody there. Jim, I wanted to ask you about it. It, uh, You've been doing this a long, long time. Uh, Last year had to be one of the most taxing and uh, in some ways satisfying years that you've ever coached, right? Well, um, this will be my 50th year in coaching. I think my 36th year as a head coach. And last year, I would say for sure, was the most unusual season I've ever had. Uh, The first uh, thing that was so unusual is 
despite all uh, the COVID-19 spread and, and, and teams missing games, we did not have a single Miami player, coach, or administrator in our program uh, contact COVID-19. We did not miss a practice or a game because of one of our players having COVID. And we only missed one game, and that was against North Carolina because some of their players uh, uh, had broken the protocol. The, the, the other thing that was unusual is we had 12 scholarship players, and six of them had season-ending injuries. And we ended up with only six scholarship players for a good portion of the season. And that made things very, very challenging. And uh, I was very proud of the kids who were able to stay healthy and how hard they played and how competitive we were. Uh, but we still did not have the kind of season we were anticipating had all our players been able to stay healthy. Jim, would you say that that is sort of the essence of coaching to get the most out of the players that you have for that season and take them as far as you can? Injuries, of course, being a, a big part of it, but getting the most out of these young people on a year-to-year basis, isn't that what this is all about? Yeah, well, the, the first thing I would say, the way I view my job is it's a job. Coaching is a job of service, of teaching, of helping kids learn. And our subject matter happens to be basketball. So, of course, you want them to learn as much basketball as they can, play as well as they can, win as often as they can. But the much bigger picture is to prepare them for life after basketball, teaching them life skills and to help them understand what life is all about. And we're all always preaching to our players to have a positive attitude towards life, that, that uh, there's always going to be adversity and challenges, and you have to have a positive approach to those challenges and work to overcome them. We're always talking to them about making a total commitment to being the best that you can be on the court, in the classroom, and in the community. And, and then we always want our players to be role models. We, we want them to set a good example for the young kids that follow our program. So I think coaching is one, yes, you want to win, you want to help the kids be the best that they can be on the court, but I think there's much more to it than that. Well, speaking of great mentors and coaches, when you were coming along, you were you got a chance to play for two of the all-time greats in high school at Jack with Jack Curran at Archbishop Malloy and then at Providence under the great Dave Gabbett. Tell our audience, Jim, about those two men and the impact they had on your life. Well, the, the, the first one that you mentioned, Coach Jack Curran of Archbishop Malloy High School, was my mentor and my inspiration for wanting to coach. He was just so much fun to be around. He was such a great teacher, coach. He prepared me, uh, not, not just in basketball, but everything. Uh, I remember when I was a, a freshman in high school, he he always required me to to, to answer a question uh, instead of saying yeah to say yes. He was a big believer in in uh, young men developing the right manners and interacting with people, how to shake hands, how to look somebody in the eye when you spoke to them. And one of the maybe strangest things that happened is my 
uh, I was on the freshman team at Malloy, and the freshman coach resigned in at Christmas time. And Coach Curran called me into his office, and he called me Larry. He said, Larry, I want you to coach the freshman team for the remainder of the season. So that was my first taste as a head coach, as a freshman in high school. And we went undefeated and won the New York City Championship. And uh, that led to a 50-year coaching career. Wow. And then my my time at Providence under Dave Gavitt, I learned so much from Coach Gavitt uh, about the the importance of networking and meeting people and getting to know people outside of, of basketball who could could uh, help them in life. So uh, Coach Gavitt really was the uh, the inspiration for my first head coaching job at American International College. Uh, I was playing pro ball in Europe. I came back. I wanted to get back into coaching. Coach Kern had helped me get an assistant coaching job at Davidson right after I graduated. So Coach Kern influenced my life that way, getting me into coaching at a, as a 21-year-old. And then Coach Gavitt got me my first head coaching job at American International College in Springfield, Massachusetts, because he had a relationship with the athletic director, Milt Peppel. And that was, again, just a a um, symbol of all the things that Dave Gavitt taught to all his players about you got to know as many people as you can because you never know who can help you along the way. And, of course, another coach uh, that was uh, a big part of your life, uh, you were co-working you know, working with him and for him, was Terry Holland. You mentioned Davidson, but also the time at UVA with Ralph and that great run with the Cavaliers. Uh, you and Terry go back a long way, too. Terry Holland offered me my first assistant coaching job in 1971. Uh, we worked together for three years at, at Davidson and then seven years at the University of Virginia. I always saw myself as Coach Holland's younger brother. <laughs> we had a lot of things that we shared. Our wives were very close friends. I spent a lot of time at his house. Uh, my two boys were raised uh, under uh, Terry Holland's leadership. My son Jay will never forget playing video games, uh, Donkey Kong, in Coach Holland's basement with his two young daughters that were his age. And so I always looked at, at, at Coach Holland as uh, an older brother and part of my family, and I think he always viewed me, my wife, and my children as a part of his family. And, again, he taught me so much about creating a family atmosphere. If you're going to be a coach, your players and their parents have to be an extension of your family. And that's the way we've conducted our program at at uh, Bowling Green, George Mason in Miami, our, our players are very, very much an extension of my family. How often do you think back on the days at George Mason and that magical run to the Final Four? Oh, I, I think almost every day, believe it or not. You know, Father's Day was just the other day, and I got a voicemail message from one of my players' moms. If you remember Fowler and Campbell, who mm -hmm. played for us and was, was our point guard on that, that final four team, his mom reached out to me and left a voicemail message uh, wishing me a happy Father's Day. So now that's 15 years ago was our run to the final four. 
But because of our relationship with our players and their parents, we still remember them and they still remember us and we reach out to each other. But that Final Four run was very, very special. Uh, I, I think about the crazy things. No one ever thought that a mid-major was going to get to the Final Four. It seemed like it was always the, the Power Five conferences, the high-major teams that were making it. But once our George Mason team uh, cracked that glass ceiling, then then you had Butler do it and VCU do it and Wichita State do it and and you you see more mid-major teams that have that that capability. But I think we were the first in almost 30 years to do it. Indiana State did it with Larry Bird. I don't know how you could call Indiana State a mid-major uh, at that time. It's like trying to call Gonzaga a mid-major. It, it, the rules don't apply to them. Jim, we're starting to get back to normal. Uh, campuses are reopened. Recruiting is underway. Visits are underway, et cetera. Um, but there's a lot going on with college athletics in terms of NIL, in terms of the structure of the NCAA. How do you view, uh, from your perspective of being at this for over five decades, how do you view the news of the day and what's happening in college athletics? Well, Bob, quite frankly, there's always been changes. But the most recent changes and adjustments that are going to be made, I think, are absolutely huge. You know, I'm not someone that that is critical of, let's say, the transfer rule, because we've enjoyed so much success at the University of Miami with some outstanding transfers. But those guys sat out a year. They made the adjustment to our program and learned our philosophy and bought into the way we do it here at Miami. And and as a result, I think we've enjoyed great success with guys like Angel Rodriguez and Sheldon McClellan and Kamari Murphy, Shane Larkin, Kenny Kaji. Those, those guys set out a year and, and worked on their games and then became terrific players. Now that, that a transfer can play immediately, unfortunately, the, I believe the message, the interpretation of that is if things aren't going great, don't don't fight to get better or work to improve. Just transfer because the grass is greener someplace else. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that's a great message to send our youth. Name, image, and likeness, I think, is way past due. I think the NCAA has been very slow in adjusting to to the the uh, culture of uh, high major. Uh, Division One athletics, especially with football and men's basketball. When the NCAA tournament, men's basketball, is generating billions of dollars and the players who participate in it get no reward for that and are not compensated in a way that I think is fair and equitable, I think there's something wrong. And I'm happy that, that uh, things are going to change and hopefully – very, very positively. The problem I see is there are really no rules in place right now. Mm. The guidelines are really not there. So it's very hard for us as a college basketball staff to function appropriately. You know, we're not sure exactly what we can be telling our recruits. What are the rules going to be? I don't really know. So mm. 
there's always been a lot of changes. You know, it used to be kids could go right from high school to the NBA. Then it, then it was one and done. Before those years, you know, guys like Michael Jordan, Ralph Sampson, James Worthy, Tim Duncan, they're staying in college for three or four years. That doesn't exist anymore. Now there's the G League paying high school players coming out. They're paying uh, – the overtime league is, is paying high school players. So the whole landscape has changed. The whole basketball culture has changed. And I'm not going to say it's all for the better because I think we've lost sight of how important education is and why you go to college. And you nailed it, Jim, the maturation of these young people to learn how to bootstrap it and pick yourself up and, and fight through adversity. I think these are some lessons that, that might be getting lost in all of this, don't you? I do, because, you know, I, I played at high school at a time that either four or five of my high school teammates all got drafted. Uh, if, if you know the name Kevin Joyce and Brian Winters, who played at oh, South yeah. Carolina, they were good enough that as seniors in high school, they could have gone anywhere and played professionally in the G League or, or uh, in the overtime league. But they went to the University of South Carolina. They stayed four years, very high draft choices, and, and made it to the NBA. Uh, Brian Winters has his jersey retired as a Milwaukee Bucks uh, former great player. And, and yet I look at it as the most important thing they did for, for themselves and their families Get an education. Earn your college degree. Because after college is over, after your playing days are over, you're probably going to need that degree to get a good job. And I think there's going to be so many kids left behind because they're not going to be good enough for the NBA, and they're not going to have gotten a college degree. So I'm hoping that the NCAA rules are going to be flexible enough at some point, maybe not right away, but in a few years when they figure all this stuff out, if kids don't make the NBA, make them recruitable again. Give them their eligibility back because that's what we do to guys who are in the armed forces. Uh, you can join the Army or the Navy and serve for four or eight years and still not have lost your eligibility because you served your country. So maybe that will be, be something worth considering in years to come. No doubt. Every year when I get my ACC TV schedule, I always look for the games in Coral Gables or catching up with the Canes on the road because it is always a pleasure broadcasting your team's games. You play the right way. I know what I'm getting uh, with the Canes. You want to run a tremendous program, Jim. And, and our congratulations from the Naismith Awards once again for your lifetime achievements in the great game of college basketball. So thanks for taking time. It's great to catch up. Trust the families well. Thank you, Bob. Everybody's great. and uh, I always appreciate talking with you. That's it for this week. Make sure you leave a rating and review for us. Helps us spread the word to college basketball fans everywhere. And we'll be back next week with more on a Trophy Life podcast. From Atlanta, from all of us at the Naismith Awards, Bob Rathman saying so long. So long.